Welcome to A Brew and a Biscuit, a podcast for those who want to live a more intentional life and take a different path. I'm your host, Nicolette LaFonseca. Welcome back to Brew and a Biscuit, but this really isn't season two. This is a little special that I'm calling Christmas week and I feel like I should have had a new Christmas jingle for that. I went back and forth over whether to do a Christmas special or whether to do a whole new podcast called Festive Fandango and what we've settled upon or what I've settled upon is doing Christmas week. So there will be five episodes. This episode, episode one of Christmas week is all about traditions. What are traditions? why we have them and I'm going to talk to you about some of our family traditions and where they occurred and I'm also going to look at the history of some of ye old English Christmas traditions and last but not least how do you break a tradition so first of all let's just see what the good old dictionary.com has to say on traditions and imagine the quotation marks because it states the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation. I think it's a fairly safe assumption to say that traditions exist with both a capital and a small t. We have traditions that are deeply entrenched in culture and religion, but we also have those that exist in our families, with our friends, even a tradition that we will keep with ourselves. Making and keeping traditions bring us comfort and they bring us security in a world that is in a constant state of flux and they provide us with a sense of identity they help connect us to our past and they strengthen our relationships when we form a tradition and with a friend that is something that we then will strengthen that relationship with so long before christianity took hold on these shores there have always been traditions in december back to the neolithic times on the shortest day of the year, it would have great importance. The people of those times would be celebrating with great feasts and gifts would be exchanged, such as decorated pottery beakers or daggers made of bronze. And even then, the parties would not just mean a feast, there would be music and dancing and singing and leaping over fires. Midwinter traditions have always continued. They continued long into Roman times. The Romans would have a five-day party and it would start on the 17th of December and that would be honouring Saturn. And then one of the things that they would do would turn the etiquette of the day on its head. So, for example, uh, the slavers would serve food to their slaves and they would get to wear a conical hat of freedom. Pretty messed up, right? But that's, what, that's how they rolled. Gambling with dice, which was normally forbidden, was fine. It was a free-for-all. It was basically five days of absolute hedonism. And, you know, the, the darkness of, like, you you get to be free for a day, but you're not really free because if you try and leave during this time, we'll still kill you, is just still about making slaves their plaything. I just wanted to get that out there because I'm not exalting the Romans for serving food to people they've stolen so if we now race through history, we go to medieval England and those midwinter festivities start to become annexed by Christianity. 
So there would be a period of fasting. Everyone was getting really religious then and they would fast all the way up to the 24th of December. So everyone who's sitting at home now who's already like knee deep in mince pies, that would be a no-no because you'd be fasting right now. I am leaping through the history books now. I know Simon Sharma had to have like a whole TV series to get through history, but I'm going to do it this fast. This is how quickly and efficient you could do it, Simon. So now we're going to look at Tudor Christmases. Now, this was when the word Christmas first started to make an appearance on these shores, meaning literally Christ, Mass, the Mass of Christ. They were even more full-on than the medieval Christmases. And during the Tudor time, there was a, a huge um, monastic uh, tradition in the UK. They were the biggest landowners. Lots of people were farming um, in a commercial way and not, in more, not necessarily in a smallholder way. And around, entrenched around that was a lot of religion, you know. You didn't know why your crops had failed. You were still learning about farming. So you would pray to patron saints and, you know, bless the barley. There was a lot of religion around that time, a lot of mysticism around that. One of the things that happened then is we saw the Twelfth Night Bean Cake. So the Twelfth Night is the epiphany. It's the sixth. It's the last day of, of Christmas officially. Everybody now walks around calling it Twixmas when you're just wandering around going, I don't know what to do. It's after Christmas, but I'm not quite back at work yet. Those are just the 12 days of Christmas, so you need to suck it up. On the 12th night in Tudor times, they would make a bean cake. One solid bean would be baked into the cake, and whoever got that slice was the king or queen of bean for the day, but in full anti-feminist of the times it was Tudor times so you know this is what we could expect if you were a female and you got the slice of cake with the bean in you had to choose your king but he got to make all the rules and if you were king bean you still got to choose your queen but she just got to you know look pretty and wander around next to you and being king for the day meant that everybody had to do what you said but they also would copy you which actually feels like torture if you've ever played that I'm copying you game with your kids. So, you know, if the king of the bean laughed, then everybody else would laugh. If he farted, then everyone else would fart and so on. And this is something that I didn't I didn't know was in British history because when I was living in Paris, we would have the Twelfth Night pie and they would you'd bake a little ceramic fev into that. You know, whoever gets the fev is king or queen for the day. And I, I had no idea until I was researching this episode that this is something that we used to have in Tudor Britain as well. So although songs and music have always been part of human party merriment, however, it's Tudor Britain where we see Christmas-specific songs becoming popularised. Henry VIII, who was famous for his spinal tap drummer approach to wives, was also apparently a talented musician and he wrote a song or is credited with writing a song called Green Groweth the Holly. Now I don't think that Slade are worried that he might take that um, all-time great Christmas tune away from them. 
I don't have the track to play to you, so we'll just have to imagine how kick-ass green growers the holly was. But it's when we take our next historical leap to the Victorian era that we really start to see a lot of the Christmas traditions that we recognise today, such as sending printed Christmas cards, despite some of them being creepy as fuck. After this, go and Google Victorian Christmas cards and look at the images and you'll see exactly what I mean. And top tip, do not Google this while the kids could be looking over your shoulder in case they catch a glimpse of Krampus. I will leave it there. Having adorned and bedecked trees indoors at Christmas became popular during these times. Christmas stockings and Santa on his sleigh arrived from America in the 1870s. All the carols that we will still hear today and we'll hear brass bands playing O Come O Ye Faithful, Good King Wenceslas, Once in Royal David City, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, all of these burst onto the scene in the Victorian era and we are still singing them or hearing them today. And feasts around this time kind of been around since Neolithic times, but they switched from goose to turkey. This is when turkeys first started to become something that people would say was a traditional Christmas fair. But what does this show? So this shows that, you know, traditions have been around for a long time, but they will evolve and that's a completely normal thing. Those traditions and those that are personal to us and the ones that are entrenched in culture and religion will also adapt. You know, families blend and circumstances change. So 2020 saw all of our circumstances change, and I hate to say it out loud. And there was much talk of Christmas being cancelled and cries of, ha, not since Cromwell. I have absolutely no inclination to talk about last year on this episode, but I am going to talk about when Christmas was cancelled. So back in 1647, the new Puritan government tried to cancel Christmas and they did a pretty good job at taking away a lot of the merriment because they weren't big on making merry generally. They caused a subsequent plum pudding riots. Yes, you heard me correctly. We had riots over plum pudding. This from the nation who can barely muster a sarcastic or angry email when they're still living under one of the most massively corrupt governments once had a riot over plum pudding. So I'm just going to let that sink in and suggest that you all mobilise. But we did it in a very, very British way, English way, actually. So in Canterbury, a riot followed this, another English tradition, really. Uh, they had a very rowdy football game and then they had a massive drunken brawl because of plum puddings. These plum pudding riots led to another round of civil war activity because in 1648, 10,000 people then marched the 35 miles from Canterbury and Kent to an undefended London. It, it didn't go well because despite all this marching, uh, laws were still passed. So between 1653 and 1658, the banning of preparing any special Christmas food, carol singing, holding a special church service, all were banned. Shops and businesses were told they had to stay open on Christmas Day. A Lord Protector put soldiers on the streets in most major towns and cities to make sure that this was all kept in check and nobody was having fun. But we are a sneaky bunch and 
allegedly people were still sneaking off to the countryside to hide in barns and have um, secret carol services. We also saw that they started to change recipes. For example, mince pies, which have been around since the 13th century, and they were made to represent the gifts of the Magi. They actually contained meat, spices and fruit. They were oblong, and that was to represent the manger, and they would have a little, little tiny baby Jesus on top sometimes. So in the days of band Christmases, they suddenly became round and the meat was taken out and Jesus was omitted to get round the whole puritanical laws. And for that, for that alone, I would personally like to give Cromwell my thanks because I like mince pies just the way they are today. I don't think I would have cared for the others. And also I'm vegetarian, so I wouldn't have eaten them. So after trip hopping through history at the rate of knots and talking about some of the traditions that we hold dear or, or maybe not so dear, maybe your eyes roll every time you hear a brass band strike up O Come Ring Faithful on the corner of your street. But they're here. But I want to talk about some of my own personal tradition stories and talk to you about how I got there and why they have occurred. And hopefully it will help you look at some of the traditions that you have made yourself, maybe on purpose or by accident, have a little fond memory of them, or maybe it will inspire you to go and make some of your own new traditions. The first story I am going to tell you has a very sad beginning. Some of you may or may not know who maybe have listened to previous podcast episodes or followed me on my blog, Archie in the Rug, or on Instagram, you will know that I had quite a lot of difficulty maintaining a pregnancy. I cursed with the fact that I was getting pregnant very easily, but I had multiple miscarriages and stillbirth until I had my eldest, Sebastian. Still living in France, I became pregnant again and it was the first pregnancy in a long time that I hadn't panicked over because I had a healthy baby boy now, so I was convinced that this was going to be fine. Fast forward to the fact that we are now moving back from Paris, we're moving back to this cold house. There was all sorts of family issues going on at the time. You know, our, our, our minds weren't in a happy place. I was really sad to leave Paris. They'd also, it was just after the Paris attacks as well, so I felt like I was abandoning my adopted home, which I didn't want to. It was just circumstances we had to had to move back at this this time because of work and I got back to the UK to this cold crafty house that was falling apart I wasn't sure what to do we were struggling financially where my partner was working at the time they weren't being very understanding and I had to go to the hospital on my own for my first scan and was told whilst there with my little two-year-old you know this is not a viable pregnancy we think this baby has died and I was all on my own I was struggling and I didn't know what to do it was it was awful I can't even I'm, I'm finding it hard to actually articulate about how awful I felt and I came back and had to wait hours and hours and hours for anyone to come back with me and all the time I'm trying to be 
okay because I have a little two-year-old with me and I'm trying to make him feel okay about the fact that the house is cold and we've got um, newspaper shoved because there is no skirting board in certain rooms. And I sat on my phone and I spent literally my last amount of money in my bank account at the time, which seems like foolishly extravagant, but I spent it on going on a steam train that's local to us on the Santa Express. And I think that that train saved me that year. That became something that actually brought so much joy in that day and seeing him with, with the trainer. And it was the best waste of money I've ever had. You know, I've, I, I spent money that I didn't have and it brought so much joy to me. And we, we decided to try and make that a decision. So we always put money aside to, to save for this Santa train. And this year, we couldn't get tickets. Um, every The world has gone crazy. Everybody's buying different things. And everybody is, the, you know, the, the numbers are still restricted. So there are less tickets. So, you know, not blaming the Worth Valley Rail at all. But we, we couldn't get a ticket this year and I, I kind of took it really personally for a little while and then I thought well no we're gonna do something else so we're going to go down to Chatsworth Hall and anybody who watched the original series of Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth when he jumps in a pond and comes out and everyone goes oh my goodness Colin Firth is damp that's Pemberley that's where they filmed Pemberley and it, it's a jolly nice place and they are holding a day where you can go into the house and look at all of the Christmas decorations and there's going to be lots of Christmas trees up and it's not that far from us. So we're going to go and do that this year. And it's been a lesson in learning to adapt, learning to move on from a tradition that meant so much because of the history of it and the origin of it. It was so personal to me and also about helping the children understand that I'm really sorry this year we can't go. This is the moment when, you know, and I'm not saying that my kids are perfect because they drive me crazy a lot of the time. And who would want perfect kids anyway? Because that's just robotic and wrong and rather dull. But I was I was kind of worried to, to tell them we can't go this year because no parent wants to see their child disappointed. And I told them, and they, initially they were a bit sad. And then Sebastian said, you know what? I really hope this year somebody got a ticket who never normally gets a ticket. And then they have a really special day on the train. Yeah. So I cried and in a happy mum cry way because I thought, okay, I may not be a perfect mum, but I'm doing something right if that's the response that my kids give to me. One of our other traditions uh, doesn't have a, a sad tale to it, but is genius. And every time I share this tradition, everybody goes, that's brilliant. That's a really good idea. Let me tell you what this is. So the year, the Christmas, in fact, not the year after, but the Christmas after I had given birth to Humphrey. Humphrey was born in April, so he wasn't, you know, teeny tiny, but it was still... You know, he was still quite a young baby. He was under a year old and I had a three-year-old and I was like, okay, that's, you know, going to juggle a lot. What I suggested was that we had our, you know, Christmas meal in inverted commas, the big dinner on Christmas Eve, which meant 
that we could just eat leftovers on Christmas Day. So when the children have got you up really early, you can just sit and watch them open presents when you're tired, when they've got toys out to play with. You don't have to say, oh, yeah, it's, it's just that mummy's peeling carrots. I've just got to check this. I'm, I'm, you know, oh, I'm going to baste. I mean, I don't baste because we don't roast a bird, but you get the gist. And we just, we just had leftovers on Christmas Day. And we did it that year because the kids were tiny. And then as they were napping, because they'd been up since four, but we couldn't go to sleep because we'd lit a fire. And it was like, oh, what if they wake up and we're asleep? We were sitting up. And I turned to Joe and said, this is genius. We should do this every year. So that Christmas Day is about what we want it to be about, which is about playing uninterrupted with our children the most we have to do is go and microwave some food and we've done it ever since and we're going to do it you know maybe forever so I'm saying maybe forever because nothing has to be forever or nothing could be forever at the beginning of this episode I said that I would talk about breaking traditions now sometimes traditions are broken for us so you know this year we could not get train tickets and so we've done something else and found another way to enjoy time as a family and say well this is still our special day where we connect and say yay it's the start of Christmas although truth be told Christmas kind of starts for us in July but I'll talk about that in a different episode but sometimes you know I hate to harp on about it but last year traditions were changed for a lot of people and circumstances will change but also Traditions change because we change and our families change and our friendships change and our circumstances change and our families grow and meld. And sometimes it can be hard to know when and how to break a tradition and especially when it's something that's so entrenched in deep meaning for you. I am quite fortunate really because I have a lot of things that I definitely want to do and wanted to to do when I had a family and my partner was a bit like yeah don't mind whatever you get to run Christmas but that's not always the case you know sometimes you might have two families who have very very strong wants and needs and traditions and it can feel sometimes that everything is pulling in a different direction even though my children are only seven and four, I'm still in a bit of a tiswas about what the future will hold. Um, you know, they're going to bring a partner home one day and that partner is going to have traditions and meanings and moments and all of those things will change. And I'm trying to hold dear the fact that things have changed so much anyway and new traditions are formed all of the time being able to healthily move on and forge a new path is something that can be hard but our ability to respond and be responsive to changes in circumstances and the needs and wants of those around you is something that will allow you to embrace a new tradition and accept it when people want to break our traditions and that's the important part isn't it because we never want to hurt anyone's feelings but we also don't want our feelings hurt and I think that the best way to move forward is to 
be understanding when somebody wants to move away from something you do and then that will hopefully be mirrored when you want to move away from something somebody else wants to do. At the core of it, if you are holding dear people around you, then that's okay. You know, that's that's the important part. And also trying to hold dear your own wants and needs in that. And so instead of pulling in different directions, be open, have those full and frank conversations to say, I would really like us to do this because this is really, really important to me. But be honest about what is really, really important to you and what is just something you would like. You know, it comes down to the same way that even if you had a gazillion pounds, you wouldn't get the house and garden and location and everything. No, Nothing is there existing that ticks every single box. So we always will say, okay, you know, so I'm, you know, I said I wanted all of these things, but actually I want these three things. And those are just kind of, kind of wants. And the other things are like, that would be nice if. And that's what you have to do and in, in prioritizing your wants and needs for traditions. Let me give you a tip that you can use to help dealing with traditions and families pulling in different directions. In our house, we have a rule that if one person wants it more than the other person doesn't want it, then the person who wants it should get it. It's kind of convoluted. So, for example, if I really, really wanted to paint the front door yellow more than Joe didn't want the front door yellow, then the person who will gain joy from it is served. Because we feel that it's more positive to serve joy than to serve the denying of another person's joy, if that makes sense. So to pull this off, to be able to make and break traditions, you have to just be really honest with yourself about what it is that truly makes you happy and unhappy and how unhappy something is genuinely making you or how happy something is genuinely making you. Do I take enough joy from this to justify the pain it causes another person and vice versa? I hope this has helped. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. This episode was all about traditions. Come back tomorrow because there will be another Christmas week Bruna Biscuits special. If you have taken any pleasure in this episode or any other episode or any of the resources and content on my blog Archie and the Rug or on my Instagram feed or you sign up for my newsletter where I send you lots of lovely treats, colouring sheets, there's a colouring sheet coming out for winter as well, then you can buy me a coffee to say thank you and I would be very grateful. I will leave your buy me a virtual coffee link in the show notes and I will speak to you tomorrow. 